Welcome to the Church 214 podcast. We're glad that you've joined us today. We hope that you enjoy today's message. And if you'd like to find out more about our church, please visit our website at church214.org. All right, I want to tell you a quick, quick story about my adopted brother, Phil. If I say brother, it just confuses a lot of people, so... He's like a brother to me. Um, Many of you know that he's been through a really difficult time recently with his job. He's had to be away from his family. Uh, Is this five weeks, Philip? Six weeks. Six weeks. Um, His wife is due with a baby in three weeks, right? Um, He's had to be away for six weeks, and he's had to get permission to come back each weekend. They haven't wanted to let him come back, but he has gotten permission, and he has come back so that he could lead us in worship. Because this is where his heart is. This is where his family is. And this week, he did not know until Friday morning if he was coming home. Thursday night that he was coming home, and he's preaching. So I was, like, scrambling in case one of us had to preach instead. But he's here because the word that God has for him is a word for all of us. And the devil tried to keep him back. The devil tried to keep him in another state. And the Lord said, nope. He's supposed to be here this morning. So I want you to give it up for my brother, Phil. Wow. Um, Love love all, I don't know how many of the people that was, but love all of you. Hey, why don't you guys just keep playing? Can you guys just play the whole time? No, I'm not. It's fine. It's fine. Man, um, that was a, thank you, Heather. That was a very, very, very short version of what's happened to me and our family. Um, you know, it's an honor to kick off this broken series today. And as, as God would have it, um, it's going to be a broken message. I hope to get through this at some point in the next um, few days, so I hope you brought some snacks. Uh, (laughs) And that was definitely not on the page, so we are already off to a fantastic start. Um, When I prepare to preach on a given Sunday, um, I typically get to spend about two months preparing for it, studying, praying, researching, that sort of thing. And then I spend about the two weeks, the last two weeks leading up to the Sunday I preach, um, tweaking my notes and rehearsing it over and over again. And I I do it that way because um, I'm just trying to make sure like it, it flows well and makes sense because you can put something that looks really cool like on paper, you type it out like, oh yeah, that's, that's good. And then you say it out loud by yourself and you're like, oh, I can't say that. <laughs> like that doesn't make any sense. That sounds really offensive. Uh, you know, whatever, whatever it is. Um, and, you know, if I, you know, Heather kind of alluded to this, but uh, this message is going to be different for me because this extreme work situation has prevented me from even um, really looking at my notes uh, for the last month. I spent a little bit of time yesterday afternoon trying to rearrange it so that it actually kind of went in a direction. Um, 
and uh, I haven't rehearsed it at all. And I don't say that to get your sympathy, and I don't say that to throw an excuse out there or qualify myself just in case it doesn't go very well. Because, because I, I say it simply because I just want to be vulnerable with you. Um, I've never felt this broken before. Um, just very quickly, what has happened over the last uh, six weeks, going on six weeks. Um, uh, on January 23rd, I was making a routine trip up to Michigan to take care of a f small inventory problem at a warehouse of mine. And uh, on the way up there, I was informed of a tiny little quality issue that our team had been made aware of in Germany. And similar parts were being sent to Michigan. And so they said, hey, when you get there, just take a look around. Probably won't find anything, but just make sure, kind of like make sure you don't find anything. <laughs> and uh, I, I, was even, I was halfway there. And I start, my phone starts blowing up from my customer in Detroit. Hey, we found this. This is going to blow up. Emergency, you know, just total chaos. And by the time I get up there, it's, it's awful. Um, everybody digs their heels in. My customer is convinced that the vast majority of the parts we have sent them or have on hand to send them are defective. My company believes they're fine. So, Phil, go fix it. Um, and I've been in this job for 18 months, and I report to a huge team of people in India that have decades of experience with this. And within the first couple of days, they tell me, Phil, this is the biggest issue our company has ever faced. Just so you're aware. I'm like, <laughs> like well, that's good to know. Um, uh, help, please. I mean, you know. <laughs> You know, and uh, and and to be perfectly honest with you guys, um, I did. I have not dealt with this well. Um, my, I have not slept well. I have fallen prey to attacks from the enemy. I have given ground to the spirit of fear, to the spirit of anxiety. Um, and when you don't sleep well, when you have all those attacks, and you don't sleep well, and you don't eat well, and you don't feel well, and then you just keep spiraling further and further down. I've lost weight. My fitness is gone, and. It, I can't think straight. I can't focus. I used to be good with numbers. I'm not anymore, or at least temporarily I'm not. Um, every report I send out is okay at best. There's errors everywhere. And that happens when you have 30 humans touching something, passing data back and forth going up and down the chains of command, a giant game of corporate telephone combined with a giant game of corporate chicken, trying to see who blinks first. And I'm supposed to manage this situation. Um, 
those of you that don't know me um, should know that I have never had to deal with this before, which is one of the reasons why I've probably cried more in the last five, six weeks than I have in the last five years. Over work. Over hunks of metal. Engines. And I love engines. <laughs> I do. I've always, I, I haven't always loved engines, but my entire career has been engines. I love it. And I've cried over hunks of metal. I've been away from my wife, who's pregnant with my second son. And I've been away from my almost three-year-old son for six weeks now. And I've been away from all of you. All of this is the source of life for me, apart from Jesus himself. And I've got almost none of it the last six weeks. And so, yes, I've cried over hunks of metal. And some of you in this room and on the podcast are just, you're trying not to laugh at me because you're thinking, that's the hardest thing you've ever been through? I've had miscarriages. I've, I've lost everything. I've gone through divorce. I'm the victim of ridiculous, heinous crimes. You might be in prison, wrongfully accused of something. I don't know how extreme the situation is. And you have the audacity to stand up there in front of me and act like these hunks of metal are a big deal? Yeah. I'm sorry. I heard Levi Lesko say one time that we have to stop comparing each other's pain. Because the hardest thing you've ever been through is the hardest thing you've ever been through. And you can't blame somebody else. You can't, we can't blame each other because we have different life experiences. And so it might be hunks of metal to me is going to be something wildly more extreme and more difficult for you. But somewhere between what I'm going through and what you are going through, or what you've been through, there is this shared experience of brokenness. And so as we look at this idea of brokenness the next three weeks, our biblical foundation is going to be the book of Habakkuk. Three chapters, three weeks, really simple. We don't know very much about him. Um, 
Man, I'm going to need some Kleenexes, I think. Can somebody please help me with that? <laughs> um. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Mama Melody. Okay. The reason I call her that is because Mama Melody and, and Papa Steve are, were so gracious to let uh, my family stay with them um, rent-free for several months in between jobs. Um, so I just want to honor her and I want to honor Steve uh, for that incredible generosity and she's still taking care of me, as you can see. Um, so Habakkuk, okay, we got to keep going here. Uh, the book is really short, but it's packed with a lot of rich uh, teaching and it's fairly unique among the prophetic books in that most of them, in fact, I think this might be the only one, uh, most of them, the prophet is speaking or writing to a specific group of people on God's behalf, whereas this one is purely a conversation between the prophet Habakkuk and God. And so it's really, really specific. It's really, really personal. And that's why we want to we take a look at it. And it deals with this concept of brokenness. We'll see in chapter one, and we're going to get to it in a little bit, we'll see in chapter one that the central theme is this impending invasion of the Babylonians, and the, whole, the situation is just hopeless. And this is the major key that we use when trying to determine when it was written. And the fact that it is foretelling the invasion means it hasn't happened yet. And so we can reasonably assume that it was written when the Assyrian Empire was starting to falter as the Babylonians rebelled against them and eventually took over. In fact, if you read the book of Nahum, which is just before Habakkuk in our Bibles, the prophet Nahum talks about, prophesies about the fall of the Assyrian Empire. And, and like, yeah, that, that's just like some history lesson stuff, but it's real, you guys. Okay, like, I'm... I'm gonna. I'm probably gonna cry again. But there's also like, and it's gonna be an emotional message. But like, guys, this stuff is real, okay? And it's okay to be excited about a Bible that's real, about a God that's real, about like all this stuff is real, okay? Um, and so when we uh, we take all this kind of historical background into account, we can reasonably assume that we think that Habakkuk lived kind of before, during, and after uh, King Josiah's reign of spiritual reformation. And that's really significant because in the 57 years, there's two kings that reigned for 57 years leading up to Josiah, and they were pr arguably the most evil kings the people of God ever had. His grandfather, Manasseh, actually led Israel to lead, um, uh, to worship false gods and even sacrificed one of his sons to a false god, Okay. And so Habakkuk witnessed this incredible societal and moral and spiritual decline. Before witnessing a brief period where King Josiah instituted this spiritual reformation starting in 628 BC, but ultimately it was too little too late. Three years later, the Babylonians declare independence from Assyria and these dominoes start to fall. In 609 BC, Josiah is killed because the Egyptians, are, the Egyptians were coming up from Egypt, going through their territory to try to fight with the Assyrians against the Babylonians. And this righteous king is killed in battle. And then there's two brief kings. They're 
evil, wicked kings. And then in 605 BC, four years later, after Josiah is killed, the Babylonians invade Judah. And as they say, the rest is history. So all of this, this is what was happening around Habakkuk. I was dealing with hunks of metal and corporate uh, infighting, and Habakkuk was dealing with societal and moral decline and really um, destruction as an invading force comes in to destroy his home. So let's, uh, let's take a look at chapter 1 as we study this encounter with God that Habakkuk had. Verse 1, the oracle that Habakkuk the prophet saw. This is called Habakkuk's... Com- before, don't even read it yet. Stop. <laughs> uh, this is called Habakkuk's complaint, but I just want to... Well, the way I read this, and I, and, I, and I hope this comes across to you guys too, um, I don't read this as a complaint. That's what my Bible says in like sort of the subtitle. Um, I don't sense a toddler complaining about no more screen time here. Yes, it does come across as a complaint to some extent, but this to me is a man that looks around him and cannot see a light at the end of the tunnel. He's completely broken and he's desperately asking God for answers. Okay, let's keep going. Verse 2, O Lord, how long shall I cry for help and you will not hear? Or cry to you violence and you will not save? Why do you make me see iniquity and why do you idly look at wrong? Destruction and violence are before me. Strife and contention arise. So the law is paralyzed and justice never goes forth. For the wicked surround the righteous. So justice goes forth perverted. So Habakkuk looks around at his own people and he sees his nation as morally bankrupt, completely turned away from God. And he, he's not the only righteous person left. Like it's not like Noah and the ark. Okay, he's not the only righteous person left, but the righteous people, it's a small remnant. The vast majority of people around him are pursuing selfish desires instead of righteousness. And the law here, verse 4 says, so the law is paralyzed. That law is actually, it's not just a throwaway word. That's actually the Mosaic law, okay? And Mosaic law didn't just inform people how to do church, okay? Mosaic law was actually the civic law. So it wasn't just that people were no longer interested in God and they were no longer going to church. They were actually not even following the laws that had governed their society for almost a thousand years. It'd be like if we just tossed the Constitution out the window, the Bill of Rights out the window. Not trying to get political here, but that's, that's what's happening. They tossed the rule book that they had used for a thousand years right out the window. Those with wealth and power did whatever they needed to do to get where they wanted to go while the righteous remnant chose to fight for their standards, fight for their principles, and maintain this fight for righteousness. They wouldn't compromise their beliefs to get ahead. And interestingly enough, this experience was not unique to Israel either. 
even morally upright citizens in the Babylonian Empire were struggling with the same thing. So this wasn't just an Israel issue, it was a global issue. Sound familiar? Even people that don't believe in God can lead a life resembling righteousness and go through brokenness and experience heartbreak at the expense of others who choose to pursue selfishness. Christians aren't the only one getting persecuted. Anybody that stands up for some standard of righteousness is going to encounter resistance, whether they believe in God or not. They might even believe in a false God. They're still going to get trampled on. And then the Lord answers him. Verse 5. Oh, man, this is one of my favorite verses in the whole Bible. Look among the nations and see. Wonder and be astounded, for I am doing a work in your days that you would not believe if told. For behold, I am raising up the Chaldeans. I am raising up the Chaldeans, that bitter and hasty nation who march through the breadth of the earth to seize dwellings, not their own. So verse 5, that's, that's like the hinge point for the whole thing today. Habakkuk is telling God, I see all this violence around me. I see all of this chaos around me. I see all this corruption and moral de- decline around me. And God, do you, don't you see this? Why don't you answer me? Why don't you answer these people that are trying to live righteous lives uh, to, to, to glorify your name? Where are you? Why don't you save us? And right on schedule, God meets him right where he's at and calls him to shift his perspective. He doesn't chastise him. He doesn't punish him for not believing. He says, shift your perspective. Habakkuk is like, I'm seeing all of this stuff going on around me. I'm, this is all I can see, God. This is all I can see. And what does God tell him? The first word, what does God say? He says, look. God, I see all of this stuff. I see all of this chaos around me. I see all this chaos. I see all this moral decline, this death and violence, and everyone's fending for themselves. God, this is all I can see. And what does God say? Look. What he's really saying is, look again. Look differently. Okay? But this time, don't just look right around you. Look at the nations. Look among the nations. Wonder and be astounded. You see how the whole thing is just way bigger than Habakkuk now? Habakkuk's looking like right here. I'm like, I can see a few, maybe a hundred people here in this room. God's saying, okay, that's not big enough. You got to look bigger than that. Okay. Wonder and be astounded. Okay. Double portion of awesomeness is how he would say it in, you know, sort of 2019 church, maybe. Um, And then I'm just paraphrasing what God is saying. For who is in control, Habakkuk? I'm in control. I am raising up the Chaldeans. Okay? Who's doing the work? I am doing the work. When? In your days, right now. I'm already working. What am I doing? You wouldn't believe it if I told you. You wouldn't believe it. Man, verse 5 has got to be in your top 10. Seriously, Habakkuk 1.5. You probably never read the book before. Habakkuk 1.5 got to be your top 10 verses in the Bible for you. 
It's got to be. It's for, it's for me for the rest of my life. See, God, and, and then verse 6, he talks about he's raising up the Chaldeans, this bitter and hasty nation. They're going to go conquer the world. And God does this many times throughout the Bible, throughout history. He allows nations that do not fear him to accomplish his will. He, he says, he's, he's saying, I'm in control. I appoint the kings. I decide who lives and dies. That's tough to hear. When freedom is such a popular word. Here's the cool part. Those pagan nations also believed they were appointed by God. Just not the true God. Archaeologists have actually discovered a tablet called the Cyrus Cylinder, and it contains a declaration that Cyrus, king of Persia, was appointed by the god Marduk to conquer Babylon and to restore a particular festival in which they worshipped this god Marduk. Again, guys, this, all I'm saying is this stuff is real. Hey, aren't you thankful at least a little bit <laughs> that this stuff is real? Hey, Let's keep going. Verse 7, they are dreaded and fearsome. Their justice and dignity go forth from themselves. Their horses are swifter than leopards, more fierce than the evening wolves. Their horsemen press proudly on. Their horsemen come from afar. They fly like an eagle, swift to devour. They all come for violence, all their faces forward. They gather captives like, like sand. At kings they scoff. At rulers they laugh. They laugh at every fortress, for they pile up earth and take it. Then they sweep by like the wind and go on, guilty men whose might is their own God. This is God talking. This is the people that he's raising up to accomplish his will. So Habakkuk's complaint is like here, and then verse 5, God goes way up here, and the way, I mean, read 7, 7 through 11, man, that's, that's an, that sounds like an invincible force, if you ask me. He's just ratchet, God just continues to ratchet it up, ratchet it up, ratchet it up. Perspective's not big enough. And this is, a, this is a tough situation. This isn't a cool thing to be going through, right? This is destruction. This is your, your, your country, your freedom. It's over when, this ha when these people come through. You are not standing up to this. Like, God is telling him, this is happening, and it's over. Like, there's no hope. God literally is telling Habakkuk, there is no hope. Isn't that a little... As a Christian, doesn't that rub you the wrong way, that God would say such a horrible thing to someone that loves him, to his chosen people? But he didn't say one thing. It's important to, when you read the Bible, it's, I've said this before, a lot of us have said this before from stage. When you read the Bible, it's very important to look at what God says. It's also important to look at what God does not say. In this passage, he says there's no hope. But he did not say, I've given up on you. There's no hope right now. But he didn't say the hope 
has run out. Okay? You got to look at what God says, and then you got to look at what God does not say. Verse 11 is really huge, too. Whose might is their own God? They sweep by like the wind and go on guilty men. I know Habakkuk. I know they're guilty men. I know they don't believe in me. I know they sin. They're taking lives. They're murdering people. That's a sin. It's in the Ten Commandments, right? I know they're guilty men whose might is their own God. They're religious people, but they worship themselves because they know they're invincible. Habakkuk, I'm sure, is overcome by this response. And I don't know how much, how much time it took from his first complaint or his first questions to God, and then when God answers him, and then I'm sure there's a gap of time, and then how Habakkuk hears all of this, and he's processing it, and then he speaks again. Are you not from everlasting? Verse 12. Are you not from everlasting, O Lord my God, my Holy One? We shall not die. Whoa, wait a minute. His tone has already changed quite a bit. Can you see that? He's overcome by the wonder of God, and he starts speaking to him very differently. Are you not from everlasting, O Lord, my God, my Holy One? We shall not die, O Lord. You have ordained them as a judgment, and you, O Rock, have established them for reproof. So even Habakkuk is already starting to put the pieces together that the game is over for now, but it's not over forever. You who are of purer eyes than to see evil and cannot look at wrong, why do you idly look at traitors and remain silent when, they, when the wicked swallows up the man more righteous than he? You make mankind like the fish of the sea, like crawling things that have no ruler. He brings them all up with a hook. He drags them out with his net. He gathers them in his dragnet, so he rejoices and is glad. Therefore, he sacrifices to his net and makes offerings to his dragnet, for, they, for by them he lives in luxury, and his food is rich. Is he then to keep emptying his net and mercilessly killing nations forever? So Habakkuk's tracking. He understands. Okay, it's over. Babylon's coming. We're going to get wiped out. It's funny that, that verse 14 to 17, it kind of sounds like the fishing metaphor, I guess. But uh, this passage actually has a double meaning. We found some clay tablets and scrolls um, that show us that it was common for captives to be humiliated as they were led away from their home back to wherever it is their conquerors were taking them. Sometimes the army would put rings in their noses and tie them together in a big line and pull them. Lead them around like you were walking a dog. Complete humiliation. We've also found some clay tablets that show a conquering army taking away captives in a big net. So Habakkuk's not just talking about fish. He's seen this stuff before. He knows that his people may very well be carried away in big nets like fish. Again, it, it's, 
it's just history. It's just archaeology. It's just true. It just happened, okay? It's all true. Now, whether it's God's response in Habakkuk or Habakkuk's second complaint, you really get this idea that Babylon is clearly a religious nation, but they don't have the same relationship with their God that we do or that Israel would have, would have with their God. Habakkuk would say that God is in control at all times, and the Babylonians would say, like, yeah, we acknowledge this God, Marduk, but we are the conquerors, okay? Remember, whose might is their own God? In verse 17, that's, that's it. That's the end of the chapter. It ends on a cliffhanger in the middle of a discussion. And when we're going through periods of brokenness, it can feel like there's no end in sight, right? That's how I feel right now. It can feel like life has paused with this terrible weight on your chest that you just can't shake. This is where Habakkuk was at the end of chapter 1. God was, he was speaking to God. God was speaking to him, but it wasn't like complete, completely, you know? It was still in the middle of the discussion, the tension of the middle. And so you can see in verse 12, like he's starting to, he's starting to shift his perspective, but he's, by the end of chapter 1, he still can't get all the way to surrender. Do you see that? Anyone? Okay. He can't get all the way. There's people in this room, there's people on the podcast, you're trying so hard to surrender, but you just can't get all the way. Lord, I believe, help me in my unbelief, right? I can't, I can't get all the way. Guys, I've lived this, chapter one. I can't get into the gory details, but pretty much every verse that I've read today, I could tie to something that has happened to me. All around me, selfish people panicking. And I don't hold it against them. I don't know who their God is. Everyone's doing their best to fix a situation quickly so we can all go back to making massive amounts of money. Again, I don't hold it against anyone. I like money as much as the next person. But when you start crying over hunks of metal, it's time for a change. Accusations, denials, manipulation. And I played a part in this. You know how many times I've sinned in all of this? You got another week or two? Okay. You know how many times I've sinned? I've gone against my principles. I've done something I wasn't comfortable with. And I think about it now, it comes as no surprise why I didn't deal well with the situation. 
why I was struggling with anxiety, why I had trouble sleeping, why I didn't feel good, so I would not eat, and then I wouldn't sleep less and eat less, and my quality of work would be lower than it ever has been in my life. Make mistakes, panic. Make more mistakes, panic. Make bigger mistakes, panic. Week after week after week, and then I try my best not to bring it home with me for 12 hours before I go back, and then There's been many days and nights in the last month where I could not calm down. The weight on my chest was so he physically, like it felt, you felt, you felt this before. You're listening on the podcast, you felt this before. I'm not the only one. A weight on your chest so heavy you can't breathe. And you think, I gotta get this weight off in the next 10 seconds. Because if I don't, I'm going to suffocate. But then you just lay there in bed, and 10 seconds go by, and an hour goes by, and three hours go by, and the weight's still there, but somehow you're still breathing. That's an awful feeling. Like Habakkuk, I started to wonder what God was up to. Why is there no breakthrough? Why am I being made to go through all of this? I started to wonder. And that's a funny word, isn't it? Because there's a lot of different ways to wonder. You can wonder, like, I wonder what it would be like to be a professional athlete. What does it feel like to dunk like LeBron James or Michael Jordan, if that's your era? It's mine personally, but... Uh, what did it feel like to be able to do that? What would it feel like to fly like Superman? Or what would it feel like to have millions of dollars? That's got to feel different than what I feel right now, right? Or I wonder, maybe, you're, maybe this is where you've been before. I wonder, I wonder if my marriage is going to last. I wonder if mom's going to get better. I wonder if my career is going anywhere. Is this what I'm supposed to be doing? I wonder. Or you can wonder at the bigness of God, the holiness of God, the goodness of God, the provision of God, the faithfulness of God, the love of God. Is it, I mean, is that, okay. Like, you can wonder in different ways. And we've just proven with this chapter that God doesn't get mad when you wonder. In fact, he's totally fine with it because his tendency is to meet us right there in your wondering and overwhelm you with his wonder. Right? This is what he said in verse 5. Psalm 78, 1 through 4. I wish I could do a whole message on Psalm 78. It's a very long chapter, Psalm of Asaph. Um, let me just read this really quick in the New Living Translation. Oh, my people, listen to my instructions. Open your ears to what I'm saying, for I will speak to you in a parable. 
I will teach you hidden lessons from our past, stories that we have heard and known, stories of our ancestors handed down to us. We will not hide these truths from our children. We will tell the next generation about the glorious deeds of the Lord, about his power and his mighty wonders. That sounds awesome, doesn't it? Okay, this week, homework. Read the rest of the chapter. Because here's what you're going to find. It's a long, long summary of how Israel failed to obey God and how God chose to allow them to endure punishment and hardship and brokenness. And they kept failing and they kept failing and he kept allowing bad things to happen to them and he kept failing. I, I, I know that we, don't, we do not feel comfortable talking about this, right? Why can God possibly allow bad things to happen to good people? Why can he allow bad things to happen to bad people? we get off on these philosophical tangents, okay? This is not an easy discussion. I'm breezing right through it. I understand that. But spend some time with the Lord this week. And maybe, just maybe, he'll speak to you. In fact, I know he will. In fact, verse 32, it's like halfway through. It says, despite his wonders, despite his wonders, they did not believe They continued to fail after that, and God patiently guided them along the way. And by guiding, he just kept letting the stub your toe there, trip over that rock, get into captivity for with the Assyrians or the Babylonians. It just kept happening and happening and happening. Allowing them to endure much hardship, but never forsaking them. And in the end, though they couldn't see it, He had a plan to eventually send his son Jesus to fix all, all of that brokenness. It's clear to me, if you read Psalm 78, that verse 4 is not just referring to the blessings that God gives us. It's not just referring to the things that we perceive to be good, the things that we perceive to be glorious. Everything that God does is glorious. Everything. He's not God, if if that's not true. Everything that God does is glorious. Everything that God does is a mighty wonder. Even the tough things. Even the things that we perceive to be bad or we perceive to be punishment in the moment. Even when it feels like you're completely broken. Even when you're caught between victories. Did you hear me? Even when you're caught in between victories. And it feels like there's no end in sight. Oh, sure, you remember the last victory. But you cannot see the next one. (laughs) 
Christ, this is where I'm at right now. This is where I'm at. This is exactly where I'm at. I've been doing better the last couple of days, but that's only because the situation has gotten so hopeless that um, there is now nothing I can do. There was nothing I could do a month ago, but at least at the time I believed I could. But after this message, I have to go home really quick and back a bag, try to get my son down for a nap, and then get on the road and go back to this hopeless situation for probably another week. Unless God does a miracle and I get to come home early. So I'm still in the middle. You know, my mom texted me this week. And she reminded me of one of my favorite John Piper quotes. This is for me today, and it's for somebody here on the podcast today. God is always doing 10,000 things in your life, and you may be aware of three of them. I'm not even sure I can come up with three right now. I have a son that's almost three. I have a second one that's going to be here in a couple of weeks. And I'm in an impossible work situation with seemingly no way out. And God's in control of both of those things. And that's all I really know right now. So I came up with two. The other 9,998, I have no idea. I guess I can still add a little bit. Habakkuk was in the middle at the end of chapter 1. And, and there was no end in sight, and he cried out, and God answered, but not completely. And then he cried out again, and he hasn't gotten an answer yet. And there are some people here in this room and on the podcast that are in the middle, and you're waiting for answers, and you want to know what to do next, and you want to know where to go from here. And you know what? I don't have the answer. I really wish I did. But I know who does. And I would plead with you to do what Habakkuk did to start chapter 2. Habakkuk 2, verse 1. I will take my stand at, the, at my watch post and station myself on the tower and look out to see what he will say to me and what he will answer concerning my complaint. Habakkuk had lost pretty much all hope, but he had just enough left that he didn't choose, he chose not to turn to some other source. He chose to wait for the Lord. So please, 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 come back next week. Because God's going to speak to you. The question is, will you look out and see what he will say? Let's pray.
God in heaven, there are so many people in this room and listening right now to this message that are stuck in the middle, and there is no way out. They are stuck in between victories. They remember the last one. They remember it clearly. It might have happened last week, but they're in the middle now, and they can't see any way to the next victory. God, give us just enough strength to take one more step, to take our stand, our place on the watchtower, and look out and see what you will say. Because this we know for sure, that you love us. You will love us all the way through. You'll love us all the way through. We don't know when. It might get a lot worse between right now and when that victory actually comes. But you're going to speak to us. You're going to hold our hearts in your hands. And you're going to love our whole heart all the way through. Somehow, I don't know, we don't know, but somehow you're going to do it. So God, right now in this moment, send your spirit on anyone who needs to hear this, anyone who feels broken, anyone who's in the tension of the middle. Help them to know that somehow you're going to do it. You're going to love their whole heart through. And God, give them the peace to let that be enough. God, let it be enough. Let it be enough. God, let it be enough. Let it be enough. Let it be enough. Let it be enough.